0: Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, we're, today's the eighth day of Chanukah, so we're just uh, we're just finishing up Hanukkah, and uh, and it's momentous. So, so I wanted to share a few more thoughts about Chanukah, and then um, just how they just apply to our lives and and, and everything else. Um, maybe connect it to the parsha a little bit more, and uh, and the events that are that are coming up. Because we have, you know, we have a, a fast day coming up, which is around the corner. And so it's kind of interesting, the connection between what's going on with that fast day and, and Hanukkah, and the, the connection between the two. So so, uh, so where where this light is taking us in the immediate future, but also more to just, uh, since we're still within Hanukkah itself, just to kind of bask in the light, um, some... So there's something that I, that I noticed that made a kind of a, a big impression on me, and it's, it's kind of picking up from, from what we were discussing last week, which is the idea of the light of the Hanukkah candles being the Or HaGanus, which is this original light that Hashem created when He made the world. When God said, let there be light, He wasn't talking about the light of the sun and the moon, He was talking about this exalted original light, which He then hid away. And I didn't mention this last week, but um, the B'nai Asaskar brings something very beautiful. He says, asks the question, where, where did God, uh, where did God hide this, uh, original light? So um, the, the, the Torah, in referring to the light, says, Es Ha'or, meaning, um, the light, the light. That's how you say the light in Hebrew, Es Ha'or. And Es Ha'or, If you if you take the gematria of that, um, this is referring. This light is referring to the original light, eshaor, two words. Um, If you take the gematria of those two words, it adds up to six hundred and thirteen. So, so God took that original light and He put it into the Torah. Alright? and and we can access that light any time that we open up the Torah. So that's that's an amazing thing. So in terms of like I say today is the eighth day of Hanukkah, but as we go into the year, if we still want to hold on to that light, anytime you open up the Torah, you can have access to that to that original light. So so this light is is reflected in the in the Hanukkah candles. And God hid it away because he felt that it was not right that the those who weren't righteous should be able to enjoy it. And of course we, we mentioned that that in the next world the the way the one one way in which the the reward is given to us is that we literally bask in this amazing light and that, that that's like consummate pleasure, consummate bliss. So so the Rokea also notes that that we light 36 candles over Hanukkah, and that correlates with the 36 hours that this original light shone in the beginning of creation. So many connections between the Or HaGanus, this great original light, and the light of the Hanukkah candles. But now I want to um, take it a little bit further and, and, and say over uh, something new. So, so I'm a Levi, and... Sometimes when, um, when there's not a, uh, a Kohen, and we're reading the Torah, so different shuls have different customs. One custom is that, you, uh, that if, if no Kohen is, is present, then the, sort of the order falls apart, and then you go straight for a Yisroh. By the way, a very nice teaching, these are the different groups of, uh, of Jews, Kohen, Levi, yisro. If you look at the, the first letters of those three, it spells Kli, which means a vessel. So that's a, a, a nice idea that when we're together and we have unity, we create a vessel for blessing. Okay? So so first you call up a Kohen, and then you call up a Levi, and then you call up a Yisra. But there's an opinion that if there's no Kohen present, then the order falls apart. And you don't call up a Levi, you just go straight for a Yisra. There's another opinion that says no. If there's no Kohen present and there's a lady present, you call up a lady. So some places will call up a lady if there's no Kohen. other places won't. That's and as a lady, I can tell you I've I've experienced both. <laughs> but, you know, I gotta just tell you, just while we're on the subject, uh just a favorite experience of mine. When I first started going to Minion, I started going to this like this little tiny minion, and um and I was very excited because I got the Lady Aaliyah every single time. And then there was a, uh, a, a, a moment when I realized, that's because I'm the only lady. <laughs> that's, that's not really special at all. And, the, and the, the day that I realized that, that this wasn't special, of course they're calling me because I'm the only lady. There was another lady present and they called him. <laughs> And I realized a big teaching for my life, which is that just because you receive something on a regular basis doesn't make it any less special. It doesn't make it any less of a gift. You know, I had been getting it, you know, I was, the day that I was ready to dismiss it was the day that I realized the value of it. And so that's true for us in, in many, many areas of our life, just Waking up, getting out of bed, being able to see, being able to walk, being able to do all of the mundane things that, you know, you know that, you know, our attitude is, yeah, God, but what have you done for me lately? You know? <laughs> Did you open your eyes this morning? <laughs> Can you walk? You know? you know, anyway, you get the idea. So, so, so I'll tell you an interesting halakha. This is sort of an unusual halakha. But it's funny since I learned this, I've already seen one or two chances, almost just about for it to be applied. So this is a very specific halakha, but you can file it away. Which is, let's say a, let's say there's no kohen present, right? And you call up a, you call up, let's say a, a lady or a okay? And the the, let's say it's a Yisrael. So a yisroel comes up and says. Baruch Hashem HaMabarach. And everyone says, Baruch and then, HaMabarach. And then he's about to begin the, the blessing over the Torah. And he hasn't started yet, but he's done this Baruch part. And then a Kohen walks in. So the Halacha is, you give the Kohen the Aliyah at that point. Because even though he's said, Baruch Hashem HaMabarach, that's not actually the blessing over the Torah itself. So, since he hasn't officially begun the Torah, even though he's done the, the startup to it, and a, and a Kohen walks in, you just bring the Kohen and he gets sealed. So, you know, you would think, like, that is such a super specific thing. When is that ever going to apply? So, I, I was just in shul, like, maybe a couple of weeks after I had learned that, and there was no Kohen. And the guy had just begun the bracha when a Kohen walked in. (laughs) So I would have, it was a direct application. And so in that case, I knew that the Kohen doesn't take it. But had it been slightly different the timing, I would have known the Halakha for that situation. So file it away. It's a very specialized case, but you never know. Um, So all this is to tell you that, uh, getting back to Hanukkah now, um, there it was the first day of Hanukkah, and I was actually dabbing right here, and they, uh, didn't have a Kohen, and they called me up for the first Aliyah. So I had the, the Kohen Aliyah on the first day of Hanukkah. And what, what are we reading on, on Hanukkah? Um, because we read the Torah every day of Hanukkah. We're reading all about the dedication of the Mishkan in the Torah. So that's eight days of, de- well, in, in then it was it was eight days of dedication, yeah, right? Because is that right? Uh, was it ten days of dedication? Okay, um, I'm uh, blanking out right now, but but it's in Parshas Naso, and I'm going to show you something very specific in Naso in a moment. But basically, all the princes of all of the tribes came up, and they dedicated they dedicated gifts to the Mishkan, and this was the inauguration of the Mishkan. Okay. Now, this is what we this is the special section that we read on Hanukkah, and it makes sense. The connection is very direct because just like they were dedicating, inaugurating the, the initial Mishkan. In, in, the, in, the, in the you know in, in the desert, um, so too on Hanukkah we rededicated the Beis Hamikdash, the Holy Temple, which is sort of like the the, um, the fulfillment of the Mishkan, right? The fullness of the Mishkan, and so it makes sense that we're reading the same thing, since thematically they're they're the same. Okay, so 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 let's just go a little bit deeper, and then I'll tell you where I'm going with this. Um, so so the Mishkan remember we've talked about it many times this tabernacle in the desert was a microcosm for the perfected world right and it it stood for a. it was in miniature it it was a person that correlated with the perfected human being and simultaneously correlated with the perfected world and of course that makes sense because we know when we fix ourselves we fix the world so it would make sense that this, this microcosm would be both the perfected human being and the perfected world, because when both of those go together, they both go together. So, <clears throat> and it says that God rejoiced when, when the Mishkan was completed, like he rejoiced when he created the entire world. So we see that when we're reading about the, the Mishkan Al Hanukkah, we're really talking about the perfection and the creation of the world. Okay, so it's, it's getting deeper, okay? Now, here's the reason why I told you about the whole Ali and all the rest. So I came up and I noticed this section in the Torah directly above the beginning of the inauguration, right? The days of, uh, of inauguration over the Mishkan, right? It's like the Torah has, like, it's all kind of like, it's like there's this way out kind of like print structure above it. The way the Torah is written above it. And if you look, it's here in the art scroll, it's on page seven sixty two. You can't quite get a full appreciation from the printed text, because it looks much more unusual and much cooler in the in the Torah scroll. First of all, it's divided up into two pages, but but you see that that there's a lot of white space in between the words. And if you look in the Torah scroll, so you'll see, like it's like few groupings of words separated by large white spaces for for several lines above the discussion of the inauguration of the Mishkan, right? Of the world, the creation of the world, if you will, in miniature, right? So I was like, what is going on with that? What is that talking about? And it's not in the same column it's directly above. I mean it, it's attached right there. So what is that? And I looked more closely and I saw that it's Birkas kahana. it's the it's the the, the Kohan's blessing that he gives to 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 the people of Israel. so this is this is really interesting. Now remember, the Torah is Black fire and white fire. So here you have like storms of white fire. And white fire is like original light. Remember, there's a lot of opinions about what is going on in terms of the white fire of the Torah. Because because it's not just parchment. That's That's not our tradition at all. That it's ink on parchment. That no one holds that way. It's black fire on white fire. So what is that white fire? So that white fire is the secrets of the Torah, basically. That in, the, in the white spaces of the Torah, it's all of the letters of the Torah. Okay, It's not that there's no letters. It's all of the letters. And to give you an idea in terms of, say, physics, is very elementary physics, but to, 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 to know what I'm talking about, there's a very simple example. If you take um, a color wheel, which has all the different colors on it, and you spin it, it becomes white. If you look at it, which is fascinating, because why should that be? It should be like, I don't know, pick a color. Or Or if you don't want to pick a color, pick black. That they all milled together like a mishmash. But the idea that you can have all of the different colors... And then you spin it. Have you all experienced this? Have you all done this? Oh, this is like kind of like a basic thing that usually they do this in elementary school. So it's um, but try it. Take my word for it. You have all of the colors, and then you spin it, and it becomes white. You know, and then you you know it stops, and then you see the colors again. They become separated. But here you see that the blending of all the different frequencies equals white. And so this is the idea, because remember, our tradition is that God created the world with the letters of the Torah. And so the way I understand that is that each of the letters of the Torah stands for a different energy frequency. All right, This is, a very, this is my own simplistic understanding. It's beyond that. But, but obviously, he didn't take an Aleph and then bang a gimel on it, and, you know, that made Detroit, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, uh, <laughs> there's, more, there's more to it than that, you know? So, we have to be talking about energy here. So, so, the different wavelengths combine, and when you've got all the wavelengths combining, you've got this white fire, okay? And then it comes down through, it into something that's actually concrete and discernible. Okay, that's the the black fire. Alright, so... So so let's just kind of reset the the question, just now that we have a broader appreciation of what's going on. So here we have the... Here we have the whole section of the Torah that's dealing with the dedication of the Mishkan. Right? Which is that porthole between heaven and earth. That's what the Mishkan was. And now in the text... In the written Torah, right above the Mishkan, you've got Birkas Kahanam, the blessing that the Kohen would have channeled through him to the people of Israel. And it's filled with white gaps, white fire. All right, and then you get to the dedication of the Mishkan. Now, let's zero in on why all the white fire, why all the white gaps... In the, in, the, in the Torah scroll for Birkas Kahanam. Now listen to this. This is very cool. When the Kohen, when the Kohen blesses um, the congregation. You know, um, I think all of you know the, uh, like from Star Trek. When Spock would hold up his hand, like, you know, with the, uh, with the V right separation in the middle of his fingers I think you know what I'm talking about so so Leonard Nimoy is a Kohen. and he got that from direrko Kahana. that was that was a Jewish thing he, he's gone on record many many times on, on saying that so so um, so so but the idea is very very deep so I'm just Mentioning the Star Trek thing so that you guys have a visual of like, what's going on. I don't think you're supposed to really do it, but that's kind of the basic idea. So, the, the idea is that, that your ten fingers stand for the 10 sphere wrote. Remember, the 10 sphere are basically the cosmic map of the, of the universe. That's how God sort of like arranges the energies in order to bring down infinite light into a finite world. That's the 10 sphere wrote. So, what the Kohen's ten fingers stands for the ten sphero. And he parts his fingers so that the, so that the light can channel through the Kohen to the congregation. So, now with this in mind, I have the chills thinking about it, with this in mind, look at how that's reflected in the way the Torah writes, Birkas Kahanim. In the text itself. That you've got the black fire, that's the revealed, and then big chunks of white fire intermingled throughout it, which is like the parting of the fingers, the parting of the text, allowing this light to come on through. Do you understand? And so, what's the idea of the Mishkan? I told you that the Mishkan is the porthole between heaven and earth. That's where the light of heaven is coming down through the Kohanim who minister in the Besa Migdash, they're the ones who run the Besa Migdash, so that light is coming down through, into the Holy Temple, into the world. Do you understand? This is why we're in such a state of exile. Remember, the Mishkan is, the Mishkan, which is now the Holy Temple, the Beis Migdash, right? By the way, you want to hear something wild? Matis Yahu, who's the koin gadol, he's the hero of the Hanukkah story. Matis Yahu is gematria is on Besamigdash. Okay, so, so you have the kahanim. Now remember, so what I'm saying is is that when we talk about Mashiach coming, when we talk about the perfection of the world, that's synonymous with rebuilding the third Beis HaMikdash. That's why we're always talking about, let's rebuild the Beis HaMikdash, and, you know, Mashiach and everything like that. It's one idea. It's one idea, because, so to speak, this world is broken. And one of the things that's missing, you know, we're waiting for a part to arrive, you know, and this part, which we need to fix the world, is the Beis HaMikdash. It's a very key part, which sort of, Brings down the energy from above. I mean, energy is still coming down all the time. But in this focused, healing, perfected way. It's, a, it's, it's, it's an essential part to this jigsaw puzzle of reality. And we, we need it as part of the fixing of the world. It's not just a, a building. It's, it's, it's way more than that. And it's not just so that we can return to old times. Right? In this nostalgic vision of how great things once were. That's not it. it. We need this for now. You know, we're missing this part. So, and, and, and to show you that what I'm saying is, 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 is according to halacha, right? This is not just a thought. This is according to halacha what I'm saying. Is that the Rambam says, Mashiach, the way you'll know Mashiach is he will be, he will dedicate the third base amigdash. And if this person that you're calling Mashiach doesn't dedicate the third base of then by definition he's not Mashiach. By definition he's not Mashiach. So, so you have, so you see that this final fixing doesn't arrive, that the whole messianic vision doesn't arrive without the third base of They're one and the same. Okay. So now, so let's return to this, 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 to me, this very amazing visual, which is that you have all of this white fire, big blocks of white fire interspersed with, with the black fire, right? All of that light coming down into the Mishkan, right? Or during Birkas Kahanam, through the Kahanam, during Birkas Kahanam, through the fingers, ...of of the kahanim ...to the congregation... ...now... ...let's make this... ...focus for Hanukkah... ...alright... ...so but again to review the point... ...it's the white fire... ...it's this light going through the kahanim to the congregation... ...it's this white light... ...this heavenly light... ...going to the Mishkan... ...because the Mishkan... ...is the porthole between heaven and earth... ...okay... But I want to say another level to this, which is it's also the Or Haganus going through the Kahanim into the second Beisha Migdash for the rededication of, of that is the Pach Shemin. That is the miracle of Hanukkah that's taking place. So remember, the whole story of Hanukkah is that the Kahanim, this group of you know, you know, religious leaders who we're told were not warriors, non-warriors. In, in fact, there, there's a very interesting account where, just to illustrate that they were, you know, not not warriors, is that there are different accounts of exactly what sparked the uh, the the rebellion, the revolt, the Jewish revolt against the Syrians, the Greeks, and. Um, one of the accounts features Yehudas and Yehudas, and now we, even within Yehudas, you have a couple of different accounts with her. okay so one of the accounts is that she was getting she was getting married and um, she was the daughter of the claim guggle, and they had a custom which i've I've seen in in other accounts in other societies a very 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 corrupt evil just despicable decree, where the, um, the feudal lord, right, the governor, whatever title he went under in the different uh, countries where this uh, happened, would have the rights to um, the, uh, the bride the first night of their wedding. And you see this in, in different places, um, and this was true in, at, the, at, at the time of the Hanukkah story. And so the account goes that Yehudas comes out and she's before her remember, she's the daughter of the, the high priest of Israel, and she uncovers her hair and it says and acts immodestly before the Kahanim and the sages of Israel. So it's a little bit unclear in this in this English text, which is taking pains to be <laughs> incredibly euphemistic, <laughs> but perhaps perhaps disrobed more than just uncovering her hair. Although, in that particular group of people, that may have been a very shocking thing for her to have done, and that that may have been enough, or maybe there was more unrobing, I don't know. But it was enough to absolutely outrage the people there, and say, we should execute her for for, for this kind of behavior. And she fired back at them, you're going to execute me? Do you know what's going to happen? You all know what's going to happen to me tonight, and, and 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 you're doing nothing about it. And essentially, called them cowards. And they were like, oh, "She's right," you know. And then that, in according to one account, was the decisive event which sparked the 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 rebellion. But anyway, the, the point is, is that. This group of people were not natural warriors. I mean, it wasn't their first impulse. Let's put it that way. So, what we talked about last week was the idea that if you see, there's a um, there, there's a teaching that it's in it's in the Gomorrah, and it's, it's it's recorded by one of the about one of the Roman senators. Okay. And there was some Senate decree in in Rome, basically, and, you know, and item number, you know, 372, uh, we're going to eradicate the Jews. (laughs) You know, it was like some, and then this Roman senator basically said, you know something, you can't have a world without the Jews. And everyone went, oh yeah, he's right. Okay, on to to the next, you know, more taxes on the uh, Gauls, you know. You know, they went on to the next item. You know, seemingly this, and there's no holiday which celebrates this, you know, here you have the the, the, the Roman Empire, you know, ready, on, it was on the books, they're ready to institute the destruction of the Jews, and a Roman just says, no, can't, no, we, you can't have a world without the Jews, and they're like, oh yeah, that's right, that's right, okay, and then they just kind of went on, you know, so, so what's, so, so this was known, in other words, it, it's, when it says, and this is the first Rashi, by the way, in the Torah, it says Breshis. So Breshis is written birishes. So, in other words, the, and then and then the navi, the prophet, I think I believe it's Isaiah, refers to the Jewish people as Rashis, the beginning. So so Rashi brings that that a way to understand. The, the first word of the Torah, Bereshins, is for the sake of the Jewish people. Meaning to say that the world was created for the sake of the Jewish people. Now, what does that mean exactly? Because that's a, that's a pretty big statement. In other words, we're bringing this understanding of the oneness of God. The existence of God. The oneness of God. Right? The holiness of human life. The, the fact that there are these things called mitzvot, which are incumbent upon all of humanity... You know, it just depends which ones and what details, but, but essentially we're all in this together. So, so we are the, the emissaries of this information, and, you know, y- you need, th- th- this world needs a purpose to continue to exist, and if you don't have those emissaries who are sort of enlightening the world as to why this project exists, you don't have a world. So it's not this crazily, crazily chauvinistic, jingoistic idea that the whole world belongs to us. That's not what's being said here. What's being said is, is that this world has a purpose, and we are explaining to the world what the purpose is. And if you don't have... If you, don't, if, you, if you will just live this world and live this life with no purpose whatsoever, and even eradicate those who will tell you that there's a purpose to this world, and what the purpose is... Then we don't have a world anymore. So God says, so what do I need a world anymore for? I mean, it's not existing for what I created it to exist for. Right? So, so in other words, it's, it, there's, there's a logical understanding for something as exalted and seemingly radical a statement of, if you don't have the Jews, you don't have the world. But it, there's actually a logic to it. Because we're informing the world what the world is here for. So, so, if, so, if it comes down to the point where, where we... So, God made a contract with us that we would be forever. So, so it turns out that you can't even get rid of us. <laughs> if you want to get rid of us, good luck. Join the club. Others have tried. It doesn't work. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't work. And what will happen is, if you dwindle down, and this is what is is going on with Hanukkah and Purim to a certain extent, but Hanukkah even more so, in this particular uh, point that I'm making, that if you dwindle down to a very small group, because remember, even among the Jews, the majority of Jews seemingly were totally on board with Hellenism at that point, which was, you know, a very assimilated Secular understanding of the world. You know? So, um, So, if it boils down even to a very small group of people, then that group of people will be blessed, and they will be victorious, even in a miraculous fashion. Because all the sages say that the military battle was as or more miraculous than the miracle of the oil. Okay? That that was huge. Because we could not have won that battle, or that war, which apparently lasted for years and years and years and years, by the way. In fact, there's a historical debate as to when, at what point, the miracle of Hanukkah happened. We tend to think, because it's very nice, there's a lot of closure in terms of the storytelling. Oh, well, we won the war, Then we went to the base of Mikdash, cleaned it up, and the miracle happened. There's another account that that happened in the middle of the war. And that the war happened for like another 20 years afterwards. But that the the light itself, the miracle of the light was an assurance to us that we would be victorious and to keep on going. And, you know, it's interesting because Hanukkah today, we're still, so to speak, in the middle of the battle. We're still in the middle of exile. And it is a sign to us, Till today, keep on going. Keep on going. So so the contemporary reality actually more closely mirrors the idea that it happened in the middle of the war. But but, but anyway, either way, however you understand it, we know that the miracle of the light was a miracle, and the miracle of the war was as or, or greater of a miracle. But here's the point, again, just to repeat the point, is that if since there's a contract with creation for our continued existence, if we dwindle down to basically nothing, if those people act as the kahanim, the small band of kahanim did, they will be given whatever power and whatever success is necessary in order for them to be victorious. So if that means picking up Trucks over your head and throwing them nine blocks. What, whatever power needs to flow through you in order to be victorious, that, that is what will... To think of a formula that can blow up half the world, right? Einstein, the atom bomb ending World War II. However you want to understand what the nature of the miracle will be. That will flow through you in order to be victorious. That is what's going to happen. Right? Even if it looks like, wow, we're down to just a few people. It's okay. I mean, it's not okay. It's grim. I hope it never happens. But, nonetheless, you just stay in the game. And by staying in the game, things will things will happen. Things will happen. Um, so now, let's return back. To this idea of the Mishkan, right? We've got the text of the dedication of the Mishkan in the Torah. And then we have Birkas Kahanim directly above it with all of the big chunks and openings of white fire. So the idea is, is that the Kahanim, remember, the Kahanim were the ones who were doing the miracle in the Hanukkah story. It flowed through them. In other words, that original light, that Or Hadanus, flowed through them. And that's why we say that the Hanukkah lights, I'd like to suggest, are the Or news. Because you could say to me, how can you tell me that this is the Or news? This is the original light of creation. I took a match, right? I lit a candle. How is that the original light of creation? That's, that's candlelight. You know, you're being very poetic right now. No, no, no we're not. We're talking on a very, very deep level. Because we're saying that this, that because the kahanim. Kept it going. That this light, which is flowing through them anyway, to this day is flowing through us, and we have this reminder, this porthole, if you will, this continual channel to bring down this light that keeps us going. So, so, so I want to just uh, share with you another idea. Just change topics here for a moment, and it's just something that uh, kind of came to me during a, during davening, and um, it just kind of is like a bit of a way out thought. But you know, let's just share. So, Parshus we just did Parshus miketz. Miketz is um, is the is the is, is the culmination in a way, it's the turning point in the life of Yosef. And just to set the stage for a moment, Yosef now has been in the lowest land, Egypt, in the lowest place, prison in Egypt. So he's in the lowest place in the lowest land for, I think he's been in prison for something like 12 years, something like this. And now you have like the greatest, most meteoric rise in history. Like in the snap of a finger, he's taken from the bottom to becoming second only to Paro in the greatest empire in the entire world. So, and it just happens lightning fast. Um. So, so let's zero in. You know, let's. Do you wanna? Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. So, so let's just zero in on uh, on the, this first letter. The Mem of Miketz. Okay, Miketz means at the end. We talk about the end of days and we talk about, it's called Ketz HaMashiach. So Ketz means like the end. And they talk about, even though it had been a really lengthy time that he had been in jail, that when the moment came for him to go, at that exact moment he went. (laughs) You know, you see, the psychology of depression, the, the The nature of exile, I heard this in the name of Labela Eger, is that you think that because today was like yesterday, right, that tomorrow is going to be like today, and tomorrow is going to be like yesterday. See, what happens is is that the, the, the depressed mentality surrenders tomorrow. And, but everybody knows every day is different. Everybody knows that if you just think about it. You don't know, if I really press you, what's going to happen in an hour. You don't know. You don't know. You simply don't know. And anyone who's being honest knows that's the truth. You know? So, so we don't know what's happening a moment from now. We don't. But again, the nature of exile is that because yesterday was like today, we think tomorrow is going to be like today, and tomorrow is going to be like yesterday. Okay. But the thing is, is that sometimes periods in our lives, stages in our lives, can go on even for years and years and years and years. Like it did for Yosef. He was in prison. I mean, the most gorgeous, brilliant, spiritual, intellectual strong. I mean, this guy was... Yosef! I mean, Yosef was... They, 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 they The Chacham, you know, they, they can't even... They take pains to describe how handsome he was. Like, it says that when he would, like, when his his chariot would go through, people would climb on walls to see him, and, and like the, 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 the maidens or whatever it is, the, the servant girls. I guess they had to continue to do their work while they were... So they would, like, be peeling fruit or whatever it is, they would cut their fingers and their fingers would bleed because they, they weren't watching what they were doing because their eyes were so fixed on Yosef. That's the example of the, 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 the rabbis' give, You know, so they literally, like, I mean, how good looking is a guy where you're, like, cutting and you're not even watching and you're, like, literally stabbing your hand because it's like, oh, my God, look at that guy. You know, so, so Yosef was in prison for, like, 12 years. That's a long period of your life to be at the prime of your life, to be at the prime of your life, and to be the most choice person almost ever. Because everyone says that Yosef was the continuation of Yaakov. By the way, if you look at their names, this came to me one time, if you look at their names, it's the same name. Meaning to say, Yaakov is Yud Akev. Akiv is the heel, that's the bottom. Yud, like from the yud k is the highest, highest. So you have Yud-Ekhev. So from the top to the heel, from the top to the bottom. Yosef, if you change around the last three letters, spells sof. Sof means the end. So it's Yud, which is the top. sof from the top to the bottom. So, in other words, Yaakov and Yosef, it's the same name. Both of them, like... Like, encompassed everything, and, and Yosef was the continuation of Yaakov. Okay, and it says that, that Yaakov was the choice of the Abbas, of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Yaakov was the greatest, and you have Yosef, a continuation of Yaakov. So, Yosef was in prison in Egypt for like 12 years. So, you think that's never going to end, right? What, what did he think? You think it's never going to end. But even if something is going on in your life for a long time, years and years, all of a sudden you have this word, this beautiful word. Mikis. Bang. Done. To the second. Done. Done. That's it. That chapter is now over. New chapter. And what was this new chapter? Oh, running the world. Running the world. Saving the entire world from famine. So so, you know, I want to tell you something, and this is my own political analysis. I I I, but I I I was I I went to Harvard and I got a degree in government. So I've always been interested in um, politics and uh, and and the way things work, and and I'm very interested in psychology as well. My dad was a psychologist, so so you know I, I'm applying both of these kind of bits of my background to this analysis. And I've never seen this written, what I'm about to tell you. So I, 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 I'm, I'm, sort of, I'm, I'm sort of proud of this, 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 this thought. So, so listen with that in mind, okay? You might say, how could it be that this must be a fairy tale? Because how do you get Yosef, who's a slave from the heated Hebrews running Egypt. How, how does this happen in terms of political reality at all? You know, if you are familiar, if you've seen the architecture of ancient Egypt, it's so massive, it's so utterly impressive, and that's just the few fragments that we have. If you can imagine it in full bloom, I mean, forget about it. Are you telling me a hated slave is all of a sudden going to be running the empire? That, that doesn't happen in reality. So, so how are you saying that this is a real historical account? So if you ask that question, I'm going to tell you how it makes total sense. Okay? So, Pharaoh, remember, they, they were all very mystically and spiritually inclined. Right? And, and leaders, by the way, in, even into present day, leaders of countries, presidents of countries, have been even in modern times, have been heavily into spirituality and, and mysticism, things like that. You know, Brezhnev was like way into astrology. Nancy uh, Reagan was consulting, this is all documented, was consulting with uh, astrologers all the time for, for Ronald Reagan, by the way. You know, you have, and of course the Arabs are way into it. You know, so you, you have really... Even into modern times, like this, this very mystical orientation of the leaders. Well, Pharaoh for sure was like way into dreams and way into that. Took it very, very, very seriously. Um, but I'm just saying that that's not just an ancient primitive mind. You know, if you scratch the surface of the modern day leaders, you see it till this day, is what I'm trying to say. So, um, but Pharaoh was way into it. And when he heard Yosef, who had this, remember, Remember Yosef like like just just the greatness of Yosef, Joseph. Yosef's getting out of jail he's been taken from jail to to see the 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 king of the secular world, right like God runs the world, right but in terms of a point man of a human being, it was para. he's going from prison to have a private audience with para right or not private but you know one on one I mean a, And he's getting his, uh, to ask for his counsel, for for Yosef's counsel. So you would think, you know, he can't run fast enough to that meeting. Like, this is my chance. I can't run fast enough to this meeting. You know what he tells the guards who are taking him? He says, wait a second. I've got to shave. I've got to get a haircut. I've got to change my clothes. (laughs) Can you imagine the level of poise and composure. I mean, this is one of the holiest people in the world, right? Ever. Ever. Like, just, I love that. I love that. Because, again, it gives you such an insight into his his level of confidence and self-assurance. You know? Like, that's intense. So, he... So, now, this is now Yosef. And it's not Yosef bedraggled. It's Yosef looking good. Yosef... <laughs> Standing in front of Parra. So, you know, he's making a very nice impression. It's not the Yosef of uh, yesterday, it's the Yosef of it's the Tomorrow. So, the Yosef. so so Yosef is standing before Para, and uh, and he tells Paro what his dream means. And Paro understands in a very, very deep intuitive in a very deep intuitive way that what Yosef said is correct. Okay, and uh, and it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Okay, now let's get into the politics of this. Okay, so everybody knows if you've studied world history at all, if a leader can't feed his people, there's a revolt. The masses revolt and they topple the leader. That's in every period, every place in the world, in every period of history. A leader must be able to feed his people. If he doesn't, that's the end of the dynasty, the government, whatever it is, the party, done. Okay? So, Paro hears, there's going to be seven years of famine. He goes, I'm done. I'm done. Okay? Then he thinks, wait a second, wait a second. What if I put someone else in charge of the food... Because I've got seven years of plenty coming up. I'll put seven someone else there. Who's going to be my scapegoat. When the famine comes. And this person. And I got an even better idea. I'm going to give him him, an Egyptian name. Because the Torah says. that, That Paro changed his name to. Tzafnas Paneach. Which means the revealer of the hidden. Right? But. All of a sudden, he's got an Egyptian name now. And then it says that he's going to, he parades them all over Egypt in order to raise his public profile. Think of this again from like a very strategic political angle right now. So what Paro has done now, at this point, is he's created a minister of food, right? He's Presenting him as an Egyptian to the people with this Egyptian name. He's raising his profile so that all of Egypt knows when it comes to food. And Pyro announces, this is the man to go to. And now Paro can say the following. When it comes to the years of the famine, if it gets bad, he can say, it's him and then he can all of a sudden pull out another card. <gasps> he deceived me. He's not an Egyptian at all. His name is actually Yosef. It's not this other name. He's a Jew. He's a Jew who's come and, and undermined our old country. Get him. Right? Seize all their property. And then all of a sudden, Paro has insulated himself from this. And he's the great hero, because he's saved the Egyptian people from this, from this person who, would, who was trying to defeat the country. Now, I found proof to this, if you will. And proof is maybe too strong a word. But support for this, in the text a little bit later. Because what I hadn't realized, because I didn't put it together with this with this thought before. It says that in the second year of the famine... Now remember, we had a great plan here. Yosef had a great plan from God, which is save seven years of grain, and the seven years of grain that you're going to save, the superabundance of grain, is going to help you through the seven years of famine. Right? Remember? So, that's all great, Except, it says, in the second year of the famine, all of the grain that got stored up, except for Yosef's, by the way, got spoiled. It rotted in the silos. So now all of a sudden, you've got... It. It, it says it in the... Uh, I don't know. It's here. The art score brings it here in the notes. Okay. Yeah. So the commentaries say that, that, that all of the... So Yosef's so brilliant plan actually hits this very troubling uh, bump in the road where all of the grain got ruined. Now, if you look in the text itself, there's an amazing line in the text. Paro says to the people, right? This is panic time, right? This is what he had been, this is what he had been fearing. Right? It says, it says, and it quotes Paro. This is in the Torah text itself. You know what he says? Go to Yosef. Not Sach Nasmenach. Yosef. Go to Yosef. What's in between the lines there? Right? Oh, uh, yeah, no, and who's Yosef? I thought that he was Saf Naskaneah. Yosef? Who's this Yosef? Uh, Yosef? That's uh, the Jew? In other words, Paro is completely insulating himself now from the political revolt that he had anticipated was going to happen, or could happen, and now all of a sudden, he points to his scapegoat, as he had planned well in advance for, get him. So, so in other words, now, to me, that makes perfect sense. It makes absolute perfect sense. Now I again, I haven't, this is my analysis. I haven't seen this written. But, but, but what I'm trying to tell you here uh, is a few things. One, I think that it's true. Where did, no, he, no, food. Where did he get the, uh, all the He food? had. He had. It was from, it says that his private was grain there, was, there was, 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 was blessed. So, so he gave from his own storehouse, and then he was able to negotiate all these <laughs> things with the Egyptians. Bless him. Like he has some circumcised and all these other things, um, but anyway, the point here—the point here—is that—is um, that there's a political reality to to what, if you read it on a very simple level, might appear to be sort of like a you know, kind of like a storybook, like fables or fairy tales or whatever it is. And you see that? No, 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 no. Yeah, that's just the way the Torah is presenting the information. But if you meditate on it, and if you look into it, you'll see that it—it it it, it's all true and it all syncs with the most detailed you know, power struggles and the way people really react. Just to give you one other very quick example, I, I won't go into detail, but the Korach's rebellion against Moshe in the desert. You, can, you know what Jews are like. You know the famous joke about Jews, that if you've got whatever it is, you've got five Jews, you've got, you know, seven opinions, or whatever it is. <laughs> bless you. However the joke goes. Is it possible that you could have had millions of Jews in the middle of the desert, and you didn't have a, a political revolt against Moshe? Is that possible? That that could have taken place? And so you have... So, so what do you have? you have a, a chronicle of a rebellion that went up against Moshe. To me, that's, that makes perfect sense. In fact, if that wasn't included in the Torah, I would question the veracity of the Torah. There has to have been a rebellion. And there was a rebellion. And it's chronicled. So, so all of these things you know, are, are all there. We just, they just have to be presented. You know, because remember, the challenge of the Chumash, which is like two inches thick, is to present a map of all of reality. How do you do it? How do you present a map of all of reality and all of the information in the entire world in a book that's two inches thick? And yet the genius of, of God, so to speak, is that he did it. But, but one needs tools to understand how to unearth all of the, all of the secrets and all of the wisdom. Um, okay. I want to get back to this the letter Mem of Miktets, and then we'll wrap it up. So, so the the letter Mem in general, if you want to if you want to look at it, you'll Is see. I'll just kind of i means the end. It's talking about the 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 end of the um, of Yosef's uh, time in in prison. Um, okay, you'll have to remember this because we're going to talk about pregnancy. Okay, so so. Uh, so 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 the, the letter mem uh there are two forms of mem. One, one the final mem is like a, a box. Oh yeah. Here you have it right here. Okay? The the letter mem I'm not talking about the final mem now. I'm talking about the regular mem that that appears, and in me case it's it's this mem that we're talking about right now. You see it's closed up in the middle, but there's an opening. And this Mem, the sages say, is compared to a woman's womb. And the baby incubates in the middle, and then it comes out. That's, that's the letter Mem. Now, why Mem? And this is amazing. Because Mem is the gematria 40. It's the number 40 and the average gestation period for a baby in the mother's womb is 40 weeks. So that's that's really interesting that you've got a whole model of birth right in that in that letter. All right? Now now I want to connect this to Hanukkah because on Hanukkah we're always reading parshas Mikes. always. Right? So if you want to boil down the whole parsha to the name of the parsha, and then you want to boil down the name of the parsha to the first letter of the parsha, okay? And it's always happening during Hanukkah. So what's this mem doing with with miketz? With this uh, mem of miketz doing with Hanukkah? So so it says that it says in the Gomorrah that inside of a mother's womb, that the child inside the mother's womb is learning the Torah from from an angel. With a candlelight. <laughs> 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 by, can- by, the, by the light of a candle. That's what it says. It says it right in Gomorrah. Gomorrah Nida. I believe it's like page 32. Something like that. Page 30. Something like this. So, um, so inside of a mother's womb, the baby is learning by, by, by the light of a candle. And so, so I want to say that that's the light of Hanukkah. Or... Better still, I want to say the light of Hanukkah is connecting with that original light. Alright? So, so let me just add one more thought to this and then we'll finish you'll get what I'm saying. Rib Shlomo ask, asks a fantastic question, which is that if our tradition is that all Jews, whoever are going to be Jews, and this includes converts and all future generations... All Jews, for all time, were at Mount Sinai, either in physical body or as souls, and received the Torah there. So, if we receive the Torah at Mount Sinai, Rip Shlomo asks, why do we have to learn the Torah again inside of our mother's womb? We already got it at Mount Sinai. What could be better than that, right? So, he gives a beautiful answer. He says that by Mount Sinai, we got the national mission. Inside your mother's womb, you get what you personally need to accomplish in this world. Okay? So I want to say, based on this, that the light of the menorah, when we look into the light of the menorah, that this is like going back, right, to the light inside of our mom's womb, when we got our initial mission, our initial purpose. And that the light of the menorah is reminding us what it is that we need to accomplish in this world, each and every one of us. So Hashem should bless us. We should really just understand that the whole world is filled with light. And, and just to bring it again to the here and now, I mentioned in the very beginning that, that, you know, just this is the nature of the Jewish calendar. This is the nature of history. This is the nature of our lives. In a few days from now, on the 17th of Tevez, Shabbosir, Oh no, the, um, the 10th of Teves rather. The 10th of Tevez. Is, is coming up a fast day. And, um, you know, we're going from celebration to to this this channeling into a different period of our history, which is marking the beginning of the destruction of the base at Migdash. Now, isn't this fascinating? Isn't this fascinating? I'd never thought of it until really today. This connection between the fact that we're celebrating today, this is Zos Hanukkah, the culmination of Hanukkah, the eighth day of Hanukkah, we're celebrating the rededication of the Holy Temple. And now a few days from now, what we're going to mark is the fact that the walls of Jerusalem were surrounded, and that's the beginning of the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. So in other words, it seems to me that the message is quite obvious and quite clear. That Hashem is saying, look, Where are my Maccabees? Where are my Maccabees? The the, the Besa Mikdash is about to be surrounded and and destroyed again. And remember, we have a teaching that in a generation where the Besa Mikdash is not rebuilt, it's counted as though it was destroyed in that generation. So God is looking to us and saying, where are my Maccabees? Where where, where are those who are going to come and, and rebuild it? So, so Let's rebuild it through through love, through sharing, through enlightenment, and by taking all of the light of Hanukkah, understanding what we ourselves need to do. Remember, there are two ways to make a big plan. Here's one big one way. You do this and you do that and you stop doing this and you stop doing that, or there's you know what? Here's what I can do. Let's let's go with plan B. We've tried plan A. It doesn't work so well. <laughs> Let's go with plan B. Here's what I need to do. Here's what I need to do. I'm going to take the light of Hanukkah and I'm going to start rebuilding. Okay. So.